My name is Nicholas Haskins, and over the past 40 years, I have fallen in love with creating in my kitchen. I'm not a chef, I'm just a guy who loves cooking from scratch with fresh ingredients and trying to spread some positive energy in the world. Join me on my culinary journey inside the kitchen and out as I explore the ups and downs of cooking, baking, and living. Welcome to Nikolai's Kitchen. Good morning. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nikolai's Kitchen. If this is your first time here, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. It's wonderful to have you back. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to the show today. This is a show all about scratch-made food, about positive energy. I hope you come along with me on a journey to get to meatloaf and mashed potatoes. That's what we're breaking down in the featured recipe segment a little bit later in the show. I'm also going to talk to you about a couple of other things that I have been making, of course, in this week in food. But I hope that you're all doing really, really well. I hope that you are doing absolutely amazing. Just a little bit of housekeeping up at the top of the show. Gerald Morris, my good friend from Two Peas on a Pod, congratulations, won the giveaway for the VIP rewards box for the spring so he got three sauces that sent his way if you have not get over to apple podcast the links down below in the show notes leave me a five-star rating and review and you will be entered to win the next one uh, the next one is going to be all about my speedy marinade three different variations and then of course if you sign up on patreon at the vip level then you'll of course get that rewards box as part of that anyway the live stream for The Cure is very, very fast approaching. As of the release date of this episode, we are six weeks away. And I'm really, really excited. I cannot wait. It's going to be such an amazing time. 50 plus hours of live content from podcast partners and creators around the world, all to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute, all to raise money for a future immune to cancer. $15,000 is what we're aiming for. It's going to be so, so amazing. T-shirts are now for sale. Head down to the show notes. Hit the link below. There's a link down in the show notes. You can pick up a shirt between now and the end of April, and that's it. They are gone after that, and all proceeds from those shirts go toward our goal of $15,000, and I donate that live during the event. You can also find mugs live stream for the cure mugs are also for sale so make sure you hit the link down in the show notes so you can check that out as well and you know pick one up again all proceeds go toward the goal of a future immune to cancer the workload for the live stream for the cure is starting to demand more and more of my attention so i do apologize that this episode is hitting a little bit late but that is one of the reasons why the season's going to be wrapping up in just a couple of weeks with monday the 19th that will be the final episode of the first season i am still going to do quick bites so you are still going to get little bits and pieces here and there in between but yeah, I need to focus my full attention on the event. There's a lot of stuff going on with it. So, so much stuff that we need to get taken care of. And I just really can't wait. So check out this promo for Livestream for the Cure. On the other side of that, we're going to get into some positivity. And I really, really hope you guys are ready for this one. My name is Nicholas Haskins, and I'd like a moment of your time to tell you about the fifth annual Livestream for the Cure. To do that, I brought along two people whom I couldn't do this event without, Gerald Morris and Dan Brennick. 
Over the past four years, the live stream for The Cure has raised over $30,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. That contribution is helping to fund research into cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This year, we're aiming for our biggest goal yet as we try to raise $15,000 in 50 hours on the air. Tune in May 19th through the 23rd as we're joined live by podcasters and content creators from around the world. With your help, we can continue the fight for a future immune to cancer. Together, we can make a difference. Every journey begins with a single step. That's a quote or a paraphrase from Lao Tzu, and I thought it was really, really pertinent, not just in terms of the 120 challenge, but also in terms of springtime, rebirth. Everything is blooming. Everything is growing. Sorry, allergy sufferers. I'm so sorry. But it's kind of that season of renewal when, you know, everybody thinks about, you know, making New Year's resolutions or whatever. Well, you know, it's the middle of winter and it's cold and we want to hunker down. So it's kind of tough to snap out of a mindset there. So sometimes it can even be easier to do it as the weather turns and as the season turns, as it renews. What is that first step? What does that mean to you? To me, the first step is believing in yourself. You have to look at yourself. You have to set a goal. You have to look at yourself in the mirror. You have to say, I can do this. I believe that I can do this. Because if you don't believe that you can do something, if you set out for a goal, like the 120 challenge, like if I set out for this goal but didn't believe that I could make it, then why even try? Livestream for the cure. This show... Anything I do in the kitchen, all of the recipes that I undertake, all of the different things that I try. There's no point if you don't believe in yourself. And that's one of the biggest things that I want to encourage you to do. I want to have a big shout out here to my good friend, Heather, who used to run a show called Sunshine and Power Cuts. And now I believe she's starting up a new show that premieres this month that I'm going to be on. I can't wait to sit down and talk to her. But one of the things when she did Sunshine and Power Cuts that she talked about was getting outside and just reconnecting with nature and just letting the warmth of the sun just kind of shine down on you. So wherever you are right now, if you can, you know, take me with you, plug me into your ears, put me on your AirPods or whatever you've got. Go outside. Just close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Let it go. Think about whatever journey you're on right now. Think about the journey that you are preparing to go on, whatever that journey may be. What is that first step for you? You have to believe that you can. No matter what the journey is, you have to believe that you can look at that goal say how do I achieve this how can I achieve this what are the limitations I have in achieving this I can't do 20 miles in a day to try to catch up on my you know goal by the end I can't I just can't do that I'm too busy number one and number two my body would be like nope (laughs) 
Do you need help on that journey? Do you need someone to, you know, take you by the hand and just give you a little bit of a boost over the finish line, maybe? And that's what I've had recently with meeting Rebecca. And as our relationship grows and as we just kind of grow closer together, we lean on each other more when we need each other. We lean into each other more when we're struggling. Recently, I've been on this journey of self-discovery and of redefining and of rebranding myself, if you will, of remaking my life in the wake of my friend John's death, in the wake of my divorce. I wanted to kind of completely reinvent myself. And that me was always in there, so it was more of a rediscovery process. But it's all about believing in yourself. It's all about taking that first step. It's all about looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, yes, I can. And I promise you that you can. Look at that journey. Or maybe a journey that you haven't started yet. Maybe you're afraid to. And I understand being afraid. I fear things all the time. A year and a half ago, I was left in this place that I can't afford. Working a job that, even stretching as thin as could possibly be, I couldn't make ends meet. I've been very, very fortunate all throughout the pandemic to still be working from home and to have things like overtime that have helped me to survive. But it's been so, so hard. But every step of that journey, I've had to kind of stop and look at myself again and remind myself, go back to the beginning. You can do this, especially when it gets darkest, especially when it gets most frustrating. That's when you need to believe the most. Because sometimes you'll start a journey and sometimes you'll get halfway through and then sometimes you'll just give up and you'll say, this is too hard or I can't do this. I promise you, you can. I know you can. So if you're still standing outside in the sun, great. Really let that sunlight hit your face and just close your eyes. Think of the faces of the people that are there for you, that support you, that believe in you every day. Think of the journeys that you're on. Where are you going from here? What do you want? Is there something that you want to do? Is there something that you need to do, but you haven't done it yet? Take a deep breath. Let that sun, let that warmth come over you. Breathe in. And out. You can do this. Every journey begins with a single step. So take it. Have you guys ever heard of a recipe and then kind of think, 
I could totally do that. But then you never ever actually look up what it is. I had this experience recently. I did some DoorDash when Rebecca was here, ordered dinner from Ristorante Del Arco, which is a nice place right here in Endwell, New York. Wonderful, wonderful place. And I ordered their penny alla vodka, which I'd never had before. And I've never made it before. And I really, really wanted it. It's like a tomato cream sauce, and it had prosciutto and garlic and Parmesan cheese, all these things in there. And I'm just like, oh, this is really good. It was amazing. Wonderful place. If you're in the area, make sure you check it out. But I really, really wanted to make this. And my son Brody actually was in town visiting, and I haven't seen him in almost a year. So I decided to make dinner for both of my boys and Rebecca. Rebecca hadn't even met Brody yet. And I decided I kind of wanted to try to replicate this penny alla vodka, but I never actually looked up a recipe for it. I figured, I can wing this, right? <laughs> it's always, and I think I talked about this last week on the show, and like the positivity segment about having a game plan in the kitchen. And what do I do this week? Wing it. Completely straight up wing it. But this is one of the times when winging it actually turned out pretty good. Because it's not like I was working from a skill set that I don't have, and it's not like I was working from things that... I wasn't familiar with. I've just never done like very specifically what this is. So I did make, we'll call it rotini alla vodka, but it wasn't at all. It, it didn't have vodka in it and it was very marinara heavy. And what I actually did was we decided to make garlic bread. I had some leftover buns that I made homemade last week. And we just did a garlic and butter and parsley mixture and just kind of chucked that on there. And then I saved half of that out. Chucked that into a saucepan, sautéed it for just a minute or so, and then I threw in heavy cream and Parmesan cheese and more garlic, and I just kind of let all that stuff kind of perfume together and come together, and I just added like two or three cups of marinara sauce to it. And now it just became this, just, it's this really, really decadent and dreamy, garlicky, nutty, you get that nuttiness and that that saltiness from that cheese. And then you kind of get all those beautiful elements of that marinara sauce that I made. You get like your garlic in there. You've got a lot of basil and oregano, all those kind of elements all playing together. So it turned out really good. It really did taste very good, but it was not uh, vodka sauce in the slightest. I've since done a little bit more research on it, and I've since like really wanted to try it again. So I'm going to very, very soon. I don't know. It'll probably be something that I talk about in a quick bite in between seasons. But yeah, I mean, work from a skill set you have. I know I talked about it last week on the show, and I know it seems like I'm kind of going back on what I said there, but it is still important to have a game plan in the kitchen. I did have this game plan. Like, I did have this whole thing planned out, what I was going to do. I just never looked up an actual recipe for vodka sauce. I just decided to kind of wing it and chuck it together. Also, I'm going to be that person. I didn't actually know that vodka sauce had vodka in it. <laughs> I had no idea. It did turn out really, really good, though. So, like I said, I think we'll break that down in a quick bite when I give it a couple more chances. But turned out absolutely amazing. And this past weekend, little Miss Avery, Rebecca's daughter, she requested spaghetti and meatballs. So, of course, I, being myself and being extra, as Rebecca rightly points out most of the time, I decided to make homemade pasta. And it did turn out pretty good, but my wrists are just not, like, it's tough to knead pasta dough. Pasta dough is usually a lot tougher 
than bread dough. Like bread dough is, you know, pretty light and pretty kind of, I mean, it does take work still, but pasta dough is much, much more difficult to mix and, and to knead together. And, you know, it turned out good, but I mean, unfortunately, even rolling it as thin as I possibly could. And with that beautiful island at the new apartment, like I can get like, you know, huge distance and roll this thing out in huge, huge tracks. But even that and like folding it up, like the noodles were still too thick and still too big for me. I need a pasta machine. I need a pasta roller so I can roll it as thin as I'd like it. And then I need an actual machine to form it into actual like pasta noodles and probably even the roller like just having a uniform thickness because i mean when you're hand rolling it with like a rolling pin there's only so much you can really do you know there's only so much that you can actually do to try to get it just the the perfect thickness and consistent all the way through it did taste really really good though and the meatballs because I'm going to break down meatloaf and mashed potatoes in the second half of this show. So the first half of this show to talk about meatballs, it's the exact same recipe. I'm not kidding you. It's exactly the same, except for one crucial thing. I swap out crackers for breadcrumbs. I don't like putting breadcrumbs, and I'll talk about this in the next segment when I break down the meatloaf, but I don't like the texture when you make meatloaf of breadcrumbs in there because I want be able to taste more of that meat. When I go for meatloaf, I want the meat portion of it, not loaf so much, if that makes sense. I don't know. But nonetheless, you know, that's what I really, really want is I want that texture. But when you're making something like meatballs, you need it to be more cohesive, number one. And number two, you can have it have a little bit more density in its texture. So when you think about and when you get the recipe breakdown for the meatloaf in the next segment, If you ever want to turn it into meatballs, seriously, exactly the same. Just swap out one to one. I think it's two thirds of a cup or two thirds of a sleeve of of crackers, whatever. Uh, Just replace that with like a half to three quarters of a cup of breadcrumbs. Simple, easy peasy. Turned out absolutely amazing. And I got to saute onions and red wine. And it's always a good day when you get to saute onions and garlic in red wine. So we're going to take a break here. I'm going to spin a promo or two, maybe, for some podcast partners coming up for this year's live stream for The Cure. And when I come back, meatloaf. Objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are. But we're also going to talk about the food as well. So stick around for these promos. I'll be right back. Predators. Their acts are evil. We call them monsters. We say no human could perpetrate the crimes they have committed. But in truth, only human beings execute these horrific acts. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me, Ariel Cooksey, on my podcast, Malice. As a social psychologist, I dig into the psychology, sociology, neurobiology, child development, trauma, and other factors that come together to create malicious offenders. Find Malice wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss, 
at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. Hello and welcome back, everyone. Thank you so, so much for tuning into this week's episode of Nikolai's Kitchen. If this is your first time here and you haven't had the chance yet, it really does help me out a lot. Please head over to Apple Podcasts, links down in the show notes, and leave the show a five-star review and rating. It really, really, really would help me out a lot. Help me get into more ears. Help me reach more people with this amazing journey of positivity and scratch-made food. I want to talk to you guys about meatloaf. Because two out of three ain't bad. Oh, no, not. Okay, no. Meatloaf, the food. <laughs> a lot of somebody, if you guys have caught me streaming a lot, like I used to sing meatloaf on streams, like, oh, I love me, love me some meatloaf. But we are talking about one of the ultimate. You think about American cuisine and you think about staples, absolute staples of home cooking or comfort food. You think about meatloaf. Meatloaf is absolutely amazing. And it is one of those foods that has kind of a bad reputation because people have been bad to meatloaf. People have abused meatloaf, unfortunately, to the point where, I mean, really, yeah, I get it. I understand why some people are just not meatloaf fans like Rebecca, who, you know, ever since meeting her and, you know, obviously I probably talk about food with her once or twice, like here or there, I bring it up occasionally, you know, and, and early on in our relationship, even I brought up meatloaf and she was just like, yeah, I'm not a fan of meatloaf. And I said to her, one of these days, I'm going to make my meatloaf for you. And I really, really think that you might like it. I really think even if you're not the biggest fan of it, this might change your mind on some meatloaf, not all meatloaf, because not all meatloaf is made equally. Many people, in my experience, have a tendency to overcook meatloaf, and then they will just not put any real flavor into it. Also, a big no-no for me, breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs in ground beef, to me, changes the texture. Now, if you're having it in something like pasta, where you're going to make a meatball out of it, it's not quite as bad. I actually kind of like it because it seems to fit the texture better when you're eating it with pasta. But when you're eating meatloaf, no. No, don't use breadcrumbs. And this, you know, my mother is a really good baker, you know, but she was never like the strongest in the kitchen in terms of actually making food. A lot of her food, unfortunately, wasn't very flavorful, didn't really have a lot of flavor to it. But one thing that she did when she made meatloaf, and even her meatloaf was nothing to write home about, but she always used saltine crackers in hers. And I always thought that was interesting because I'd never, ever seen anybody else do that. I'm sure somebody out there listening to this is going to say, yeah, yeah, I know somebody that does that. Or my mom or somebody did that. But I had never heard of it, and I've never heard of it from anyone else before. But it really, really, really does make a difference. And this isn't something, you know, don't pulse them in a food processor. Don't, like, crush them up into, like, <laughs> a cracker-type breadcrumb. Just crush them by hand. The other thing that really took my meatloaf to the next level was glaze, which shout out to Mandy, you know, my friend Tommy's wife, who before I met her, I had never even thought about it before. Never, ever had a meatloaf with a glaze on it before. Or maybe, you know, somebody squirted some ketchup over the top and chucked that in the oven with that. But no, Mandy did a glaze that was just like equal parts Worcestershire, dark brown sugar and ketchup. I'm going to riff on that today. You're going to hear kind of a version of that. And then I'm going to tell you about a little bit of a dream I have. Something that I think is going to take meatloaf even further. 
And I've made meatloaf before as part of my cooking journey, as part of my podcasting journey. I made it for restaurant, but I made it with apples and a dark stout. I caramelized onions and green apples with a dark milk stout, I believe. And I made that. And Jared Taylor, one of my VIP level patrons, he actually made it way back, you know, three or four years ago, whenever that was, and loved it. Meatloaf is very versatile. You can do so, so much with it, but you need to build layers of flavor in this thing and you need to not overcook it. Those are two huge, huge things. So let me break down my recipe for you. Please try this. If you're a fan of meatloaf or even if you're not, even if you're skeptical, trust me, give it a try. You will need four pounds of ground beef. Go with something like an 80-20 here. The fattier you get this, the more like liquid you're going to have in your meatloaf. You don't really need a ton of it. You don't want to go with something super lean here, obviously, because you want all that fat for flavor. So go with something like an 80-20 here. Two-thirds of a sleeve of saltine crackers. Crush them by hand. Just take them out and crush them by hand. You're going to get about a cup to a cup and a half yield. I never measure it. I just usually take two-thirds of a sleeve of crackers, put them in my hand, and just into the bowl they go. Four tablespoons of unsalted butter, a cup of red wine, a tablespoon of dark brown sugar, one red or yellow onion, finely diced, ten cloves of garlic, finely minced, three eggs, salt, pepper, a half a cup of ketchup. I actually have a Simply Heinz because I got it to make barbecue sauce for my VIP rewards for patrons. A quarter of a cup of Worcestershire sauce, a teaspoon of fresh rosemary, and a teaspoon of fresh thyme, both of those chopped. And then we'll talk about the glaze in a few moments when we get there. First thing you're going to do, saute your onions. I know some people, when they do onions in a meatloaf, they'll just add them raw. And you know what? I don't necessarily think that's the worst thing that you can do, but start building layers of flavor now with your meatloaf by sauteing them in red wine. Chuck your butter in a skillet over mid-heat. Get your onions in there. Sprinkle some salt over them. Start sweating them down. Add your brown sugar, that one tablespoon, and your red wine. Stir it to combine. Cover it. Reduce the heat to low and saute those for 15 to 20 minutes until they are nice and soft. Take your cover off and return it to medium heat, and then you're going to cook off that remaining moisture, but don't let your onions burn. You'll know when they start to kind of get all that moisture boiled off of them. You'll start to hear a little bit of a different sound. It won't kind of be that bubbling, percolating, simmering sound. It'll start to sound more like a sear. This is when you're going to add your garlic. Only one or two minutes here, stirring constantly just to perfume it throughout. You don't want to burn garlic. If you burn garlic, it will ruin everything. Take that mixture off of the stove and let it cool. Now, when it comes to preparing your meatloaf, 350 degree oven, preheat it. Get your ground beef, your onion garlic mixture that you just sauteed, your eggs, your ketchup, crackers, and Worcestershire sauce, and your spices into a large bowl. Mix everything together until it is well combined, and you're going to want to transfer it into a baking dish that's big enough for this. A really large loaf pan or a 9x13 is going to work. I use all sorts of different things for this. doesn't really super matter. Honestly, you can get more glaze onto this if you use a 9x13, but the slices are obviously going to be much thinner, and you would need to reduce the baking time because obviously it's going to cook faster. If you're using something like a high loaf pan and that's really, really thick in terms of a loaf, you're going to need to increase your baking time maybe even upwards of 60 minutes. Now, however, let's talk about that glaze. I did a half a cup of ketchup, a quarter of a cup of dark brown sugar, two tablespoons of Worcestershire, and two tablespoons of red wine. So let me bend your ear on something that I kind of had a little bit of a daydream about after I made this meatloaf and after I made this glaze. Now, the Worcestershire here really kind of 
takes over. It's got really, really powerful kind of tangy elements to it that are unmistakable when you taste them. So they kind of do own everything. So what I want to try to do next time is just make like a red wine glaze for this. Reduce and make some red wine syrup. And then just mix that with some ketchup and use that. So you're just getting all of those amazing kind of fruit elements of a red wine. Maybe sprinkle some dark brown sugar in there if you really want to liven it up. But tell me how good that sounds. I didn't do that this time and I really kind of wish I had. And if Rebecca's listening to this, she's going to be like, what in the world? Why didn't I get that? But trust me, you will. <laughs> so for mine, I had to use a big casserole dish because it's basically the right kind of thing that I had. My pieces were about two inches thick, so I baked it for 45 minutes. Every 15 minutes, I topped it with glaze. You should have enough glaze this thing three times. So then at the end of the 45-minute cycle, when you put that final glaze on, turn the oven off, turn the broiler on, five minutes or so, you just want to kind of crack your oven door just a little bit to keep that broiler on, five minutes or so to really kind of start to caramelize those sugars on the top. Then you're going to take it out of the oven and you're going to rest it for 10 minutes before serving it. This is just like anything else that's meat-related. You're going to want those juices to kind of redistribute throughout it. Don't just cut right into it because then it's going to everything's going to run all over the place and you're just going to be left with dryness and nobody wants dry meat, even if it's in a form of a loaf. My meatloaf is really, really juicy. You've got a lot of great flavors. You've got those amazing flavors from those fresh spices in there. You've got that red wine, that earthiness, and you've got a little bit of sweetness from that dark brown sugar from that glaze. And then you get those really powerful tangy Worcestershire elements and even those tangy vinegary elements of that ketchup in there. Such a beautiful symphony. And the texture is still very, very much like ground beef. It's still very, very much like meat because you crushed up crackers just roughly with your hands. I mean, you're still going to end up with some pretty big cracker chunks in this because you're not trying to turn this into breadcrumbs. Trust me, if you've never made meatloaf without breadcrumbs and just substituted something else, give it a try because it changes the texture. Breadcrumbs change the texture of meat and I just don't like it in a meatloaf. I just don't. So please, please give this a try. The recipe is going to be linked in the show notes. The recipe is all over my social media. So go check it out. I promise you, this is amazing. And I really, really want you guys to give it a try. And what else pairs with meatloaf better than mashed potatoes? So let me tell you a little bit about my mashed potatoes, because mashed potatoes in my family are legendary. You went to my grandmother's house as a kid and you could not wait to heap up a mountain of mashed potatoes so much so that me and my brother would always get the mashed potatoes last because we had a tendency to maybe take all of them. <laughs> I mean, she always made so much, so many mashed potatoes, but me and my brother would just heap them up and up and up on our plates and just, uh her mashed potatoes were – and my mashed potatoes, you know, I think my mashed potatoes are really, really good. But they just – I mean, it just has that – everybody has that one dish, right? That one dish that connects so much to your nostalgia, so much to memories of childhood. That's mashed potatoes for me, mashed potatoes at my grandmother's house. I couldn't even tell you what we had as a protein most of the time when I went over there. But I can guarantee you there was a heaping massive bowl full of mashed potatoes on that table every single time. The one thing about mashed potatoes for me that changed very recently was my potato ricer, which when I got married way back in 2016, I got it as a wedding gift. And I thought it was <laughs> rather naively thought it was for making homemade French fries. 
So I grabbed a whole russet potato, peeled it, chucked it into this thing, and tried to press it through the grating. And I was like, this potato is way too hard. This is never going to fit through here. So then I just took the thing, and I just chucked it into a closet somewhere. And it sat there for like four years. Until finally I was like, I want to try this thing again. Because I always used to make my mashed potatoes. After you boil the potatoes and everything, you chuck them into a big bowl. And then I would hit them with a blender. You know, I would hit them with a mixer. And what that can have a tendency to do if you overwork and you overwhip the potatoes, it can kind of tend to glueify them a little bit and make them really, really goopy. And one of the biggest things for me is you want that fresh kind of pillowy, soft, but also rich, starchy potato flavor in there. And when you throw things in a potato racer, same way as if you hand mash something, hand mashing is way, way underrated, to be 100% honest. But the potato ricer has changed my life, and I will never make mashed potatoes without it. In fact, I really kind of want to get a bigger one so I can just make more potatoes faster. It changes the game. You don't need to use a mixer or blender at all. You just chuck the potatoes through the ricer, squeeze them down, and then you add your cream and your butter, stir it together, and you've got perfect, beautiful, velvety, soft, light, airy, starchy potatoes. Let me break them down for you. Start with five pounds of russet potatoes. You're going to peel them and you're going to cut them roughly in half and then probably about eight, six to eight pieces, depending on the size of your russet potatoes, six to eight pieces per half. You're going to want one stick of butter. Cut this lengthwise and then cut that into eight pieces and then keep that in the fridge. So you should have 16 equal sized chunks of butter. Keep it in the fridge until you're ready to use it. Two cups of heavy cream. Yes, these are decadent potatoes. A quarter of a cup of evaporated milk. If you don't have evaporated milk, just regular milk, whole milk, preferably, will do you just fine. And then you're going to use salt and pepper to taste. Probably for me, about two tablespoons of salt and about three tablespoons of pepper. It depends with the salt because I like to salt my water pretty well when I boil the potatoes. So I typically don't have to add much, if any at all, to the final mash. But pepper, probably, yeah, I would say at least two, maybe three tablespoons. Depends on how much you like black pepper, but I love it in mashed potatoes. So you're going to peel and cube your potatoes, get a big pot full of water, chuck your potatoes in there and salt your water, salt your water because the potatoes are definitely going to take on the salt. You just want to be careful not to over salt your water here, because if you do, there's no fixing it. There's no making your mashed potatoes like under salt the water so that way you can finish with some salt at the end. You're going to cook your potatoes until they're soft. I usually will take one out of the pan and just kind of press it lightly with a fork or with my finger and it should instantly just fall apart and that's when you know they're done take them off the pot throw them in your drainer and drain them while they're in there turn your heat down to mid-low and this is where you're going to want to add your milk and cream to your pot and this tip comes from ann burrell of all people watching i think it was worst cooks in america once upon a time cold butter warm cream Cold butter, warm cream, and I can't explain to you why this works. I don't really necessarily have the food scientific knowledge to really understand why this works, but it just does. It just makes for a much creamier potato. I think because you're not cooking all the creaminess out of that butter. Once that cream just starts to simmer around the edges, remove it from the heat, and now it's time to combine your potatoes. So take your potatoes, run them through a potato ricer into a large bowl. Add about half of your cream and milk mixture and all of your butter in here and just grab a big spoon, 
salt and pepper this to taste, kind of taste your potatoes here, see what they need in terms of seasoning and whatever other seasonings you might add at this point, this is where you put them in. Mix those together and then continue adding the cream and milk mixture until you get to the right consistency. The reason why I say don't necessarily just go ham and add the whole thing at once because you might want your potatoes a little bit thicker. You might want them a little bit thinner, so you might want to add even more milk to this and kind of thin them out just a little bit more. And make sure you just finish it with whatever salt and pepper you need to at the end, and that's it. Boom, you are done. You have beautiful, pillowy, soft, dreamy, creamy mashed potatoes. I love my mashed potatoes and you pair them with this meatloaf. You get all the different flavors you've got layered in that meatloaf. And then you just have that creamy, dreamy potato consistency on top. Nothing in the world says homemade, says comfort food like meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Please give this one a shot. Please give all my recipes a shot and let me know over on social media at Nikolai's Kitchen, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Let me know how it worked out for you. That is going to do it for another episode of Nikolai's Kitchen. I love your beautiful faces. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. If you're new here, I really, really hope that you do come back. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so, so much for your loyalty and for sticking around. I really, really do appreciate it. Find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. I am literally everywhere. The season is going to be ending in just a couple of weeks. I've got some big things planned for you guys, including next week, another installment of Table for Two. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to sit down with my guests, which is still to be determined as of this recording, <laughs> and talk about that dish. And then, of course, the season finale, which is going to knock it out of the park. And then I will see you guys after that in little quick bites here and there as I prep for live stream for the cure and kind of get things ready for the event. And then May 31st, Memorial Day barbecuing i will be back with a whole special on barbecuing to kick off the second season in style but until next time i love you you are so amazing i hope you have such a beautiful and amazing week whatever you're facing whatever your struggle you've got this i promise you you can do this i believe in you and i know that you can don't ever don't you dare give up on yourself Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you so much for all of your amazing support. And thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. Mm-hmm.